my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. Small business generates more jobs than large businesses. I think that's a surprise to a lot of people, but small businesses have generated over 10 million jobs over the last decade, where large businesses have generated about 8 million. So it's the backbone of what makes America special. Hi, I'm Bob Pittman, and welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. Today, we have stories from a serial entrepreneur. He's quoted as saying, I'm a lifelong employer, never an employee. He's had a special affinity for opening up possibilities for small and medium-sized businesses. He's the founder and CEO of Innovation Refunds. He's Howard Mockler. He was early in esports in the early 2000s and later made it possible for everyday investors to invest in real estate. He's made the tour growing up in Connecticut, starting his career in L.A. and now Miami. He's been a professor at Wharton School of Executive Education, and he has a long history of helping others through his strong charitable endeavors. And with all that, he still maintains the passion and energy of a startup entrepreneur. Howard, welcome. Thank you, Bob. It's a really pleasure to be here with you. Before we jump in, Howard, I want to get you in 60 seconds. You ready? I'm ready. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Winter or summer? Summer. Salty or sweet? Sweet. Real estate or esports? Real estate. Early riser or night owl? Early riser. California or Florida? Florida. Rock and roll or country? Rock and roll. All-time favorite musical artist? Elton John. Smartest person you know? Uh, My father. Favorite place to visit? Beijing. Secret talent? 
my staff would say I'm a magician. So I'm going to say a magician. And finally, what did you want to be when you were growing up? A business owner. Okay, let's jump in. You have a Steve Jobs story from before Steve Jobs was really Steve Jobs, but it tells you something about why he was as successful as he was. Can you tell us that story? So I was about 13 when I started my first company and also acquired my first Apple II computer. It was one of the very first Apple IIs that was produced. And when I turned it on, every TV in the house went haywire. There was no RF shielding in the computer. It was very early days of personal computing. And so I was living at the time with my father in Menlo Park, which is down the street from Palo Alto, where Apple is based. I picked up the phone and I called Apple's headquarters and asked to talk to Steve Jobs. The very nice receptionist told me that he was tied up and I offered to call back, which I did. She put me through. And Steve immediately diagnosed what the problem was. And once he determined it was a unshielded computer case, he dispatched a technician to my house in Menlo Park to swap out the computer. You always want to be a business person. You were always thinking about business. How did that experience shape your view of customers and customer service? Yeah. And I really am crazy about customer service. We have 99% five-star reviews and it really did shape my opinion. My cell phone can be found on the internet. I don't hide. People can find me and do. And I actually enjoy it when they track me down. But customer service really is about responding to the customer, making sure that you take care of their needs, understanding what went wrong, not making excuses and trying to cover up for things, but really being transparent, honest, and direct addressing whatever the circumstances. I think we've all been really frustrated with poor customer service. And when you have exceptional customer service, it really tends to stand out. Well, you know, you have a history of spotting an opening in the market or a need and serving that need. You have an overriding philosophy about providing services to small and medium-sized businesses, giving them sort of the advantages, if you will, of scale, access, and experience. Can you talk just a little bit about that, what that overview is? Small and medium businesses are the backbone of America. And I know we say that, we've heard that, but what does it mean? It means that small business generates more jobs than large businesses. I think that's a surprise to a lot of people, but small businesses have generated over 10 million jobs over the last decade, where large businesses have generated about 8 million. It's the backbone of what makes America special, and unfortunately, the small businesses don't get the kind of service that they need. You have a lot of folks that have the entrepreneurial spirit, but they just don't have the training and backing to really understand whether it be finances, accounting, marketing, technology. When you talk to non-business owners, there's a perception that the business owner is the wealthy one or the one that enjoys all the wonderful fruits of life. And that might be true, but what's more true is that business owners are the last to get paid. They're the ones who ensure that payroll is made, rent is paid, and if there's money left over, God willing, they get it. And it's a very thankless task. So many business owners end up working very, very hard and end up not making money. It really behooves all of us to support the business community and for those of us that have been successful to try to share whatever we can with the folks that are coming up so that they too can be successful and employ more people. So you are doing that today with your company, Innovation Refunds. Talk a little bit about how that came about and specifically how it's filling that void. Yeah, I'm really proud of it. 
little background, I was the founder and president of a REIT, a real estate investment trust, alongside the chairman of CBRE, founder of Tinder, was one of our partners. That REIT ended up getting acquired by another REIT. And I was looking for what my next exciting venture was going to be. And I learned about these government programs. The government has considerable resources that are devoted to helping businesses, but unfortunately, most of that aid never reaches the business owners. They're just not aware of it. And when they are aware of it, they don't know how to cut through the red tape and actually apply for these funds and receive them. I learned about this opportunity and one of my superpowers is I know how to create businesses. I've done it many times. I created the company that was specializing in helping businesses to apply for and obtain money from programs such as research and development, enterprise zones, and then a COVID program came out, part of the CARES Act. Many businesses got PPP. Everybody heard of PPP, right? Absolutely. Well, there was an unknown brother or sister to PPP called ERC, which many people now have heard of, I think in large part to our ads on iHeart. iHeart's been great helping us to get the message out that this employee retention credit or a payroll tax refund is available. In the last 18 months, we've helped 20,000 businesses receive five and a half billion dollars that they otherwise wouldn't have received. You sort of were right place, right time, serving a defined need. Now that the refunds are working their way through the system and you built this infrastructure for serving businesses, what's next? This was designed to be a foundation. What's next is multiple engines designed to serve businesses. So one engine is a government incentive engine. It will uncover all government incentives at a federal or state or local level and navigate the process of applying and receiving those funds. So a company essentially comes to our site. They give us access to their data. We then spend our resources hiring tax attorneys and other professionals who go through their data at our expense. And then we match up government programs to bring them immediate cash. That's one bucket. Another bucket is helping them to take their accounts receivable and turn that into immediate cash. And then the last is a marketplace where we have a number of goods and services ranging from insurance to helping with marketing, technology, training, really a full ecosystem designed to help the businesses to unlock their full potential. So let's jump to some hot topics. AI, it's finally arrived. Is it friend or foe? And what impact will it have on small and medium businesses? Well, it's a bit of both. I saw this cute commercial and it said, AI won't take your job. It'll be someone who has learned how to use AI. And I can say in our company, we have a number of folks that are on the front line of experimenting with AI. AI is very, very powerful. It's also not a panacea. I've seen plenty of wrong information come out of ChatGPT. So it's a powerful, powerful tool. If harnessed properly, it can be tremendously beneficial. I think the net net for small business is that it will be a tremendous gain. We see in small businesses, especially the difficulties of recruiting enough employees. And often we talk to small business owners, they'll say my business is limited just by the people I can have. You think AI helps that or 
is it a threat to them in terms of eliminating their whole business? Oh, it can level the playing field. I think every business owner should have some young person on their staff experimenting with how AI can improve and change their business. There isn't a business in America that isn't ripe for improvement using AI. And your uh, garden variety 21-year-old kid is probably uh, ripe for figuring out ways that you can do it. Let's talk about nimbleness. Small businesses are definitely more agile than large businesses. Why do you think that is? And what lessons can large businesses learn from the small business community? Well, small businesses, we make decisions rapidly. We don't get bogged down in bureaucracy. There are leaders like you, Bob, that are able to cut through that in large organizations. But generally speaking, I find large companies can't get out of their own way, where small companies are able to make very nimble decisions. Let's talk about culture. You've built businesses. You've served other businesses. You watched them all. You're a student of them. You've been a professor. How do you build culture differently in a small company than you do in a big business? My answer is going to work for whether it's a large company or a small company. It starts with caring about your people. That's the number one variable is how do you care for your people? I can give you some stories. Our headquarters is in Des Moines and there was a freak hailstorm that showed up in July. It's golf ball size hail. And Bob, I stood there at the window in the office watching hundreds of cars in the parking lot be destroyed. The hail came and they looked like egg crates when they were done. Every car destroyed. The company covered everybody's deductible. That's how you create culture. It's how you demonstrate that you care. And it's not about spending money, although it does cost money to create culture. At our company, we have a full-time well-being program, Ignite Heart. We have a full-time facilitator, and she is available to the entire staff of the company to talk about anything that's bothering them, whether it be they're just having a grumpy day or something is very serious in their life, providing them some guidance and some help. And all of it feeds back into culture because the people in the company know that the company cares about them. And we devote resources to show them that we care about them. And that's really the way you create culture. Let's jump a little bit. Brand. How does a small business, medium-sized business, build a brand? And is that different than a large company building a brand? The core is the same. It's consistency of behavior. Brand is a fingerprint of your behavior. If you want to create brand, it's going to be a mirror of how you act as a company. And really, I find that that starts at the top. The leaders end up determining what that brand is going to be like and how the company is going to react. I know iHeart cares about their people and their customers. You care about everybody. and You act that way. And that's the way we act. And I don't think it matters if you have a small automobile repair shop that's uh, in a small town or you own a very large business in a big city, I think at the end, it's all a representation of how you treat your people and your customers. I want to keep going with the lessons, but first, I want to get some context on you by going back in time. You grew up in the 70s and 80s in Connecticut. Paint the picture of that time and place and the family life you grew up with. 
So grew up product of divorced parents who I think like a lot of divorces were tough on the kids, tough on the parents and getting shuffled back and forth between mom and dad. Ultimately, at 13, I started my first computer business. I was doing about $100,000 a month in sales by the time I was 15. And I ended up moving to California. I actually got out of high school early. I think like, I don't know, maybe like a lot of entrepreneurs got out, took some college classes that interested me and started my second or third company by then. So were you a good student? I was a good student when I enjoyed learning and then I got bored of learning in school and I was no longer a good student. I wanted to learn in business. What impact do you think your parents had on you that still affect you today? Well, huge. My mother was a good mother. She wanted to do what a mother does, to take care of and to protect and to provide comfort. My father was an entrepreneur as well and a business owner. So he was the one that bought me that Apple computer at 13 years old. And at a time when he wasn't doing all that well, it was a real stretch for him, actually. He really went out on a limb to be able to afford to get me that computer. He felt that it would materially impact my future, and it did. Yeah, I'll say. So let's talk about college. Did you go to college? Nope. And ever have a desire to go to college? I spent 15 years teaching a day class at Wharton. I think college is really about teaching you how to learn. And if you're an entrepreneur, you probably figured that out. So although you're a business junkie, very clearly since an early age, You've been very committed to helping the world you live in. You were on the board of the Skyhook Foundation. That was a charity founded by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and many more charities. How do you think about nonprofit work as part of your life? Probably the most proud work I did was a hospital pastor for, boy, I don't know, maybe eight years or so, over a thousand hours. I think it's really important that we give back. And it's especially important because Our lives, our troubles all seem so important to us. And when we can get outside of ourselves and be a help to somebody else, it provides great perspective in our own life, as well as just being incredibly healing. So I think everybody should experience what it is to give back. More on math and magic right after this quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. 
It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Math and Magic. Let's hear more from my conversation with Howard Mockler. You've had a lot of interesting businesses. I won't recount them all, but when eSports was just getting started, you had Howie's Game Shack in Orange County. You had it for about 15 years. Can you explain what that was? You were extraordinarily early here. Yeah, and that was great. My partner in that was a great guy named Joe Dacian. And we sat around, and this is really, I think, provides a great blueprint on what it is to be an entrepreneur. We like to play video games in that time. And so we would get together with maybe a dozen of our friends. Everybody would bring their PC to the office and we would make a network, connect everybody together. And inevitably of the dozen computers, one wouldn't connect and everybody would be frustrated. And we would all sit around saying, gosh, we need a place where we can all play games and have pizza and drink Monster Energy. That was the era. Many people talk about things or dream about things, but the way I dream is I take action. And so we ended up drawing what this place could look like. And within six months, we had built the largest computer game center in North America. We ended up opening seven of them, which connected over 2,000 computers. This is before online gameplay. I had literally 2,000 people playing computer games against each other before there was online gameplay. Let's jump a little bit to you as educator. You were not college graduate and go to college, and yet you wound up teaching an advanced course on leasing at the Wharton Executive Education. Why did you want to teach, and what did you get out of teaching? 
Well, I love giving back. And that program was part of a program that was designed by Wharton and the trade association that represents shopping centers called the International Council of Shopping Centers. And it gave me an opportunity to teach to folks that were in the retail shopping center industry to really perform better. My second business that lasted for 15 years was the largest company that disposed of surplus real estate for retailers. So whenever Walgreens or CVS or Kroger or AMC would close a store, we would represent them and find a solution for that real estate. And I found that I was able to mentor a lot of young people that were coming into the retail real estate industry. And for literally a decade plus, I would bump into these people and they would share how much they received out of this class. And I always tried to have tangible takeaways from the class. So I really didn't want the class to just be where you attend and then you don't find anything usable. And when I received feedback over the years of how helpful that was to people, it really inspired me to do more. So one of your secret powers, I think, is how you build a team. How do you think about hiring people and retaining people? Thank you. It is one of my superpowers. I have almost no turnover in the company. People almost never leave here. We treat people right. We make them feel that they are heard. We go out of our way to be transparent and honest with all of our people. We flow information like water and we really treat them as valued members of our community. It's little things, whether that means they don't have to pay for water or snacks, those little items, whether it be the Ignite Heart program that we provide. If you really want to create a high performance team, you're going to have to treat people like adults. It's a commitment to treating your people the best possible way. I can't let you be on this episode without really digging into something that's very current today, especially as it relates to small and medium businesses. Community banks have a very special and key relationship with those small and medium banks. How have the difficulties with these regional banks affected these businesses? And how does that relationship change? Who fills the hole? Thank you for asking that. So I have one group of investors in this company, and that is a group of community banks. They're my only investors. They've been with me since the very beginning. So I'm really very close to the subject. This is a really, really tricky one because every business owner that I know is looking at their bank balances, making sure that their money is secure. Picking the right bank is really, really important. And the large banks provide a valuable service, but the community banks are also really, really important. Unfortunately, over the next few years, we're going to find a little bit of a desert for businesses. And we're already seeing it in the financing side. Small businesses are having a much harder time and likely are going to continue to have a hard time finding good banking solutions. And I would just warn everybody, watch those limits over 250000 you're not protected. Banks have something called Interfi, which will essentially spread your deposits out over a group of banks. 
And that's a really important service that business owners utilize. There's a lot of uninsured money out there. That really scares me. So let's jump to some advice. If someone wants to follow a path like yours, serial entrepreneur, business after business, what advice could you give them? Get a lobotomy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, if somebody really has this in their heart, nothing will stop them. Entrepreneurs can't be stopped. What I would encourage them to do is to focus on their spreadsheets. Focus on the numbers. Ideas are great. Numbers are where it comes together. Kind of like the name of your podcast, right? Magic is required. Without magic, miracles don't happen. But without math, nothing happens. If you could go back in time and give your 18-year-old self some advice, what would that advice be? Get a better CFO. If I had the CFO that I have today at my previous companies, I would have been much more successful. I've been successful, but my current CFO is a rock star at the highest level, and I see how important it is. We end each episode of Math & Magic with two shout-outs. One to the greatest person you know on the math side of business, somebody, as you pointed out, who runs things by the numbers or data. The other is the inspired creative thinker, the magic side of the business. Who are your two shout outs? Well, the math is going to be the CFO I mentioned. Uh, His name is Chad Sinclair, and he's really a wizard with math. He's the best I've ever seen in my life. So shout out to him on that. On the magic side, it would be Steve Jobs. He always said people don't know what they want. You have to show them what they want. And he really was a magician that could pull out of his hat the most amazing products. Howard, you have had a remarkable life as a strategist and an entrepreneur. Thanks for sharing your lessons and your insights with us today. Thank you, Bob. Really, it was a pleasure being here with you. And thanks to you and thanks to iHeart. Here's a few things I picked up in my conversation with Howard. One, prioritize customer service. Great customer service helps your company stand out. Respect your customers by not making excuses, by being honest and transparent, and by directly addressing their issue. You'll be surprised how much it will help your reputation, your bottom line, and your brand. Two, focus on employee wellness. Devote resources to making sure your team knows you care. It costs money to create good culture, but it doesn't cost anything to show your people that you care about them. Whether it's a program dedicated to wellness, or maybe it's just a thoughtful gesture, taking that extra step can be the backbone of a successful business. Three, your brand reflects your actions. You can work toward building the brand you want, but ultimately your brand is a mirror of your company's values and behaviors. Create consistency, show you care, and your brand's imprint will be stronger for it. That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Sidney Rosenblum for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Our editor, Emily Marinoff. Our engineers, Jessica Kreinchich and Bahid Frazier. Our executive producers, Nikki Etor and Ali Perry. And of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 